Welcome back, Action Alerts Plus members and AAP podcast listeners. I'm Chris Versace, lead portfolio manager for the Streets Action Alerts portfolio. And I got to tell you, I am back from a whirlwind trip up in New York, having done stuff with J.D. Durkin for the Street, visiting the folks at TD Ameritrade, hey, Oliver Rennick, as well as spending some time with good friends over at Yahoo Finance. And as if I'm not enough of a glutton for punishment, even my first day back in the office, what am I doing? I'm subbing in for Doug Cass over at the Daily Diary. But still, I'm making time to share my latest conversation with the toddler, the to- the, t- the master of Toddcast himself, hot toddy Todd Campbell. So, Todd, it's been a bit since we spoke, and I realize that's kind of a hot entrance, but uh, congratulations. And, you know, I, being being so loved that you have so many nicknames. Uh, Chris, I don't know if I can live up to any of that intro. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, no, I, I I caught some of your stuff in New York, and uh, it was fun seeing seeing you out there talking. And um, you know, looking forward to catching up with you today. It's certainly been a couple weeks since um, well, you podcast. Well, you had some vacation time. You were you were taking in some baseball, right? I did. I did. I went down to Fort Myers, Florida, caught some um, Twins and Red Sox and Pirates. And yeah, it was it was it was a good time. It's always nice to get down there. I've got family down there and uh, feeling uh, refreshed. I, I didn't hear about my local team, the Nats. You, you didn't bother to swing by and see those fellas? I think the Mets. Well, you know what? I think the Mets might be on the other. No, no, coast. no, not the Mets. Shh, shh, shh. The Nats. The Nationals. Oh, the Nats. No, I, you know, I don't know where. So maybe one of the listeners can chime in and let us know where they play. And then that way I can, uh, if they're on the East, if they're on the West Coast, on the Gulf Coast, I will absolutely go see their games because uh, I do fantasy baseball. And I love to see these spring training games to sort of, uh, well, you know, do a little research. Understood. Understood. Kicking your tires, doing your due diligence. Glad to see you're putting that analyst hat to work, Todd. Uh, and, and if memory serves, I think the Nats, today's uh, Wednesday, March 29th, we'll tape and record the same day so I can save this kind of uh, safely. I think uh, folks kick off tomorrow, don't they? The 30th. Yeah. Yeah. We get some real baseball now. This is a, this is good stuff. I've been looking forward to it. Lots of interesting changes. This, I know this is not a fantasy baseball podcast, but there are some really interesting changes. They made the bases bigger. Uh, so it might have an impact on stealing and base running. Um, they've got the pitch clock, which could have an impact on some of the, the starting pitchers. And um, yeah, it's going to be, uh, this could be an interesting season. You know, um, I'm just thinking bigger bases mean I wouldn't have to run as far. That's all I'm thinking. I'm sure there are more than one uh, baseball player who has that same exact thought. More probably, probably, probably. Okay. Well, since it's been a bit since we caught up, there there has been uh, you know a couple developments, Todd. You know, uh, some bank failures. We had the Fed meeting. We had the uh, you know stimulative efforts. I shouldn't say stimulative. I, I should say efforts to shore up confidence in the banking industry by the Fed, the FDIC, and some others. Uh, market appears range bound. You know, you're you're doing some tweeting about PE uh, PE multiples. We've got the PCE uh, data for February coming up. Micron reported. So a whole kit and caboodle of stuff. What do you say we get started? I'm I'm game. Let's do it. 
All right, let's do it. So, you know, I, I think over the last few weeks, it's safe to say that the two, you know, twin-headed monsters driving the market uh, as earnings season for uh, the December quarter finally wound down and we're in a lull, kind of sort of with some economic data. It's really been um, the recent Fed monetary policy meeting. Hey, 25 basis points. And guess what? 5.1% is the Fed funds rate, according to Fed Chair Powell. You should expect that to be with us through the end of the year. Um, but CME FedWatch tool is saying, hey, they're going to pause in March, and we expect uh, a couple of cuts in the back half of the year. Very different perspective from the market. And I think, and I've been writing this with that to Action Alerts Plus members. There, there's a bit of a question out there as to what the expected tightening in credit will translate to uh, in terms of a uh, de facto equivalent, if you will, Fed rate hike. Some are saying 25 bips, some are saying 50. I think uh, others out there on the high end are saying the equivalent of 100 basis points. Um, but I think we need to see what that means. What do you think, Todd? I think one of the most important things that we're going to see in the next I don't know, month or so is the updated survey of senior loan officers survey um, that the Fed puts out. Because one of the things, you know, we had, and again, I go, go on vacation, and all of a sudden, all these banks fail. I mean, come on. <laughs> but um, just means um, you can't go on vacation time. I know, right? Um, but one of the things that you know, I was talking to my father, my father is a, a former bank president and um, we sat down on the, we got on the phone, we, we chatted a little bit about it. And one of the questions that I'd had for him was what's going on in the, um, in the executive offices of regional banks right now around mm -hmm. the country. And one of the conclusions that we came to is that, you know, they want to slow walk loans from here. Um, and we're probably going to see lending standards and loan amounts credit limits shrink. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what that how that looks in the survey. We've already seen that in the most recent survey uh, that was released, I believe, in January. We already saw that, that standards were tightening. Um, but I think we're going to see more of that. And I so think... Let me let, let me ask you this, because I, I think, you, you know, you via proxy, your dad is 100% 100% right. And, you know, we saw them starting to tighten because people were concerned about the slowing economy and, and what the impact might be. So we're, we're going to see more of that. But I, I, I do wonder, given the flow in deposits that we saw immediately after Silicon Valley Bank failed, are we going to see other market share gains by more uh more diverse, better capitalized, better risk managed banks, i.e. the bulge brackets, your JP Morgan's, your Bank of America's, kind of swoop in and ultimately emerge from this with more market share. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking is going to happen. I think you will see consolidation um, within the industry and assets. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you're, you're on the right track. I mean, my, I always, when it comes to banks, I always like, you know, to buy when I can get the price to book ratio at one or lower. That's mm -hmm, the ideal mm -hmm. spot for me. Um, and we're not quite there on a lot of stocks, um, but I may not get that. I may, my, my patience may not pay off in that regard. Um, but I think you're, you're on point in that if you're, if you're got a million dollars in cash, your business, you got a million dollars in cash somewhere at a bank at a regional bank, you're probably, you know, it's due diligence, your responsibility now to make sure that you've got protection and you're moving that money around a little bit. And one of the ways you can get protection is by going to a, a 
like you said, systematically important bank yeah. that you know that the Fed is going to support. Now, you know, the Fed has said, okay, well, we're going to help out these smaller guys too, right? Because they obviously don't want it to get systemic and to spread like a contagion. But, um, you know, I think you just, Todd, Todd, enough... you're throwing all these big words around. I know there's enough systemic doubt. Contagion. Saying, Chris, is there's enough doubt. Uh, and you don't want to have to be the one trying to figure out if the Fed's going to backstop your payroll. Correct. So Correct. why take that risk? Yeah, I mean, it's akin to, this is a somewhat dated uh, statement, but I think you'll get it, uh, get the reference, Todd. Um, I'm sorry, hot toddy. You, <laughs> um, you know, no one ever got fired from going with IBM, right? No one's going to get fired by going with J.P. Morgan Bank of America Citigroup. Absolutely, 100%. The the one pushback that I would have, or eh, again, some a reason for patience that I, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about uh, banking still, is that I do kind of want to see how this all shakes out with net interest margins. Because <clears throat> Bank of America, okay, yes, dollars are flowing in there because they want safety. But at the same time, you know, you also have treasure, treasurers probably looking at it and saying, well, <clears throat> I could take some amount of that money and put it in one month, three month, six month T-bills, mm -hmm. um, cash-like, if you will. And um, maybe that's an option too, to get some better yield. So banks are going to have to ramp up what they pay for deposits. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. And that's going to have a negative impact on net interest margins. And if the Fed does pause in May, like you said, no, no, I didn't say that. No, no, you didn't say it. You suggested <laughs> that the CME FedWatch tool is, is indicating it. Correct. And right now, uh, Chris, for listeners, I just looked, 59% chance of staying where we are. So pause in May. So 59% chance. The only other option on the table with any meaningful uh, probability is 25 basis points. Yeah, well, and the only, you know, again, since we're caveating, I would say, uh, yeah, that's before the February PCE data on Friday. Yeah, that PCE data, you know, I, I think that inflation at this point, um, I, it's obviously, it shows, seems to be trending in the right direction if you look over the last six months. Wow, whoa, hold the phone, Jack. Did you, so if you look at the month over month data on the core CPI, Right. And you look at it for February versus January versus December versus November. It's all going in the wrong direction. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to look at the year over year numbers. Uh, so so I do, too. I you know, you, you have to compare contrast. Right. You have to look at both. There's you know, and you know what I'm about to uh, get on a short little rant on. Right. There's no one, there's no silver bullet for one particular data point. You need context. You have to look at it from multiple angles and you've got to look at different indicators that touched, that talk to the same thing. So I, I agree with you hundred percent on that, but even the services PPI for February was still hanging around 6%, even after it peaked around, don't hold me to this, but like six, nine, I think in November. So there's still a long way to go, right? More has to be done. Yeah, and just for, again, for listeners who might be wanting to jot down some notes to take a look at when the report comes out on Friday, right, Chris? Yep. Uh, 4.73. Last, right? Core PC that's expected for February, and 5.10 is the headline PC expected for February. Right. So, so Todd, and that, that would the... be down from 5.4 in January. 
Right, but the core I think is unchanged at 4.7, yeah. right? And if memory serves, and I'm saying only this, I only know this so well because I did it on the AAP daily rundown video that I do. The core CPE is supposed to be 0.4 in February down from 0.6 in January. Yeah, so I mean, what I was gonna get to on mm -hmm. this discussion, Chris, was that what I'm more interested in now is the impact of where, what that means for real wages. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the big debate is, um, you know, is the economy going to soft landing, no landing? Who the heck knows what kind of landing, right? Nobody knows. And I, I really do believe, I mean, if you look at real wages and how they behaved um, over the course of the last year, we did see positive real wages during the summertime rally. We saw positive real wages again in November and December, but then they went negative again in January and February year over year. And again, if you've got declining buying power, it's hard to get really excited about what that means for economic growth. Mm -hmm, Although, mm -hmm. you know, I know I'm throwing lots of numbers at all the listeners here, but I looked at GDP now, and you probably did this week too. We're 3. still at 3.2. Crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, okay, so we've got negative real wages, but we really haven't seen unemployment pick up that much. You know, and GDP is still hanging tough. And maybe yeah. that's why we're seeing stocks rally since mid-month, that and the fact that, you know, we've seen um, treasury bond yields fall in the wake of the bank failures and the what? dollar the dollar uh, has been retreating since mid-month as well. And, and, and the Fed has essentially reversed the vast majority of its balance sheet moves. Don't forget, right? Right, by, by guaranteeing, or not guaranteeing, they're taking on collateral right yeah. from these and, regional banks yeah and those those uh those first two weeks back to back those numbers were almost identical around somewhere again i'm going from memory 160 170 billion dollars or something like that i mean that's you know there's there, there's a lot being thrown to shore up confidence in the banking sector because they don't want to have a repeat of what happened last time um so let me add, okay, so we're, we're skipping around here. Let me, let, let me see if I can get us back on track. So we talked about the PCE. Um, my concern with the PCE is that it mimics what we saw in the other February data and that it comes in slightly warmer than expected. Not gonna say blazing hot, but warmer than expected. If that's the case, do you think, Todd, that um, and as we put a little more distance from the bank failures, that the market might start to go, you know, the Fed does need to do more about inflation and maybe it's not, maybe it's a March pause to see what happens, but maybe those two to three rate cuts in the back half of the year, eh, might be a little aggressive. Or, or do you think it's just simply too soon to tell because the May meeting is so far off? Yeah, I think it's it's what you just said. I think it's the May meeting is a little bit far off. We're gonna get a lot more data points from here. We're gonna get unemployment data. We're gonna get other things that, mm -hmm. that could also influence their decision. Because remember their dual ma mandate listeners is price stability and employment. So, Maximum employment. Yeah, so we, we've got to keep that in mind too. You know, Obviously if the economy stays tough and hangs tough and we're not losing jobs, then that gives them theoretically some room. Um, so maybe it is a temporary pause. Uh, I think it's still encouraging for for folks for now, but it's too early to say. You know, and that's kind of where the market is right now, Chris. It's kind of this 
no man's land. Agreed. I mean, totally it's there agree. Technically, it's there economically. It's there. I mean, fundamentally, you've got all of these cross currents, and it's really making it hard for investors. Unless you're a long-term investor and your dollar cost averaging into the S and P 500 index, which you should just continue to be doing, right? Mm. But for for active investors, it's 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 kind of a sit on hands moment um, until we get a little bit more direction. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a couple things in there. So, you know, earlier in the week, um, Bob Lang, AAP team member, put out a chart like he does every Monday for us of the S&P 500. And he's pretty much saying, you know, that 38, 3900 on the bottom, 4100 on the top, stiff resistance of 4100. You were you were telling me before we got on that um, real money. Uh, Daily Diary uh, and hedge fund manager and and AAP team member Doug Cass kind of sees the S&P trapped between 3,700 and 4,100, um, you know, and, and we're constantly battling back and forth in there. And, you know, there's some questions about the speed of the economy. There's some questions about whether or not tech is going to rebound in the back half of the year. And we, we can touch a little bit on what Micron said in a few minutes. Um, but you were also had a tweet out today, Todd, that said, hey, you know what? The... PE on the S&P 500 is around 17-ish, and typically, I don't want to steal your thunder here, you, you say in the past when that has happened, that's been kind of positive. Yeah, I mean, it's if you look subsequent to certain PE levels, you can basically look back historically and say, and we're talking forward PE ratios, so we're looking forward here, guys, not, not in the rear view window. So we're looking through the through the driver's window and we're saying, OK, what happens to the S&P 500 historically once you're at a certain forward P ratio? And when we're at 17, like we are now, according to FactSet, there are different estimates out there. But FactSet's estimate puts us at about 17.1. And subsequent to that, in the next 12 months, the average return has been fine. It's been solid. It's been 8 percent. So what what's the time frame on that, Todd? Because I, I I don't mean to be that guy, but I do have some questions. Yeah, and you know, I, honestly, I don't know how far back this data came from a presentation. Okay. That um, Leon Cooperman did um, with Doug Cass earlier this year, and it was part of that presentation, and it was compiled according to Cooperman by um, his hedge fund. So okay. people who are working with it as hedge fund. So I don't know off the top of my head what the starting point was for making those calculations. I don't know if it was the 70s or the 60s, the 80s or the 90s or whatever. Um, but still, I think it is a, a really interesting way to think about things, especially in the context of what may or may not happen to earnings estimates in Q2 and Q3. And you know, I don't know when you want to pivot to Micron, but you know, we are still seeing negative earnings uh, outlooks. So I, I I will say this, just just being that guy who has, you know, traced back S&P multiples for a period of time. And I, I think I, I chatted with you on a past podcast. Like I, I've gone back and I've reconstructed it with uh, GDP, the Fed funds rate. So, you know, when, when you're talking multiples, you really have to understand the environment at the, at the times that you're seeing. Right. So if, if it's a pure average, that's one thing. But, you know, I, I think what happened was, Todd, you and I on a podcast look back and I said, geez, you know, if I look at when the Fed funds rate was close to where it is now, you know, the market peaked 14 and a half, 15 times. And, and I, I'm going from memory here and I want to say it peaked out 17, maybe a little over 17 times. 
on 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 earnings. So you know the the con. What I'm getting at here is the context matters. It does. It does. And I think that you know just like at the you know in January when we we're peaking and in January and started to roll over, we had gotten above 18. Subsequent returns after that is zero percent in the next 12 months. And I think that's when we were having that conversation. Yep. We've since retreated faster than earnings have come down. That's brought the board P ratio to 17, which is a little bit more favorable. But to the point I think you made a couple months ago, is it like 15-ish? Yeah. Typically where you would expect the P to find a bottom, although we did get there last fall. We had a P on September 30th of 15.1, I think. That could be. Um, yeah. I, I apologize, Todd. I'm, I'm looking for something to introduce into the conversation. I'm not listening. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least, okay. at least at least, I'm being honest with you. That's right. That's you know, okay. I'm not being what, like Todd. Todd, that now. was a great listeners point. Know. Yeah, tell me more. What's going on? Sorry, I'm sorry about that. So what I what I wanted to pull up though was the latest issue of uh, Facts and Earnings Insight, and it, and it's my bad for not having it up when we started talking. But to your point about declining earnings, um, S and P 500 expectations uh, for that basket for the first quarter, March quarter, we came into the year, it was essentially unchanged. Uh, it's now down 6.1%, and I believe the June quarter is now expected to be down 3.7%, which, and, and, and I love when this happens because it puts a lot of uh, hopium expectations, call it what you will, on the second half of the year. And granted, there are reasons why the second half tends to be seasonally stronger, um, but you know that's a lot of pressure, I think, on the back half of the year. And the other thing that I will point out, if I can scroll to this uh, chart fast enough while I'm dragging out my language here, um, it's the year-over-year uh, -year earnings expectations already for S&P earnings in 2024, which, you know, it's almost like at this time, the, the standard analyst mode is, well, of course, earnings will be up 10% next year. And, you know, then as we move through the year and get, you know, in yeah, the back and it half always of the year. happens, right, Chris? I mean, we had people were expecting $250 in earnings per share in, in current year 2023. And now I think we're down to 224 or something like that. And then next year, we're expecting, last time I saw, it was still around 250 in 2024. So, so to you're, your point, expecting so you are, to see the 10% rise and likely to come back down um, from there. So you, you are super close, Todd. Twenty two, two hundred and twenty dollars, two dollars seventy five cents for O three, two forty eight seventy four for O four, which I think uh, what is that? Twenty two, twenty. That's actually more than ten percent. In in impossible listeners to to actually give any credence to that number. It's far too soon. And in yeah, to your point. If they cut later in this year to stimulate then who knows what happens to earnings next year right well or or or, or if the cme if 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 we believe that the market's moving higher because of, because of the cme fed watch tool and they don't cut which means that rates are higher for longer right you know there is going to be a lot of pressure on those 2024 numbers to come down yeah and we still don't know if we're going to have the recession or not that's right you that's know, exactly right that's going to have on the back half of the year yeah yeah, so so you know it, it's funny you say that because um, this morning when I was walking one of my dogs, Bob Lang and I were chatting, 
And he said to me, you know, Chris, a very important day is going to be April 27th. And of course, I'm like, you know, walking down the street and I'm like, okay, Bob, what's April 27th? And he, and he said, you know, and correctly so, because I looked it up afterwards, that's the initial reading of GDP for the March quarter. And, and as you pointed out, as of now with, you know, a handful, of, not even a handful of days, less than that to go, the Atlanta Fed is saying, or at least, at least it's GDP rolling model says 3.2%. Um, so my quick counter to him was, well, I can understand that. But you know, to me, the new order data that we get next week in the March PMI data from ISM and uh, S&P Global Manufacturing Services, that's going to start to really inform how we start the second quarter off. Yeah. I don't glad disagree you agree. with you. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I mean, the only other thing that I would maybe add to that, and we saw this last, about actually one year ago, is that you can see GDP continue to climb. There are a couple more revisions as data comes in in April. Yeah. So we, we on the, I think the next step date is 331, in two days. Mm -hmm. And then we could see a couple more updates to the GDP now model. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that settles out and then compare. Well, it. yeah, I mean, the, the hard part is because the GDP model is rolling, right? We don't right. get any data for the mar for the month of March until we move into the month of April. Right. So yeah, there, there definitely will be more revisions. Um, and, and to your point, I, I think uh, folks are going to be looking really hard over the next couple of weeks over what is the, you know, uh, on a rolling basis, the expectation for the economy, factoring in what you said about the senior loan officer report. And I think, too, what banks have to say when bank earnings kick off in, and honestly, Todd, just a couple of weeks. So there, there, there's going to be a lot more you know, information coming at us, allowing us to fine tune those expectations. Um, no rest for the wicked, right, Chris? Hey, I did two days in New York and I'm doing the diary. Now I'm talking to you. So yes, I, I'm a glutton for punishment, as they say, toddler. So um, you see what I did there? You did. I saw that. Toddler. Yeah. Um, there are so many nicknames to go with Todd. You know, one of the editors, one of the great editors that folks don't know about um, over at the street and particularly pre the premium services, uh, this gentleman named Pete Wilson, who has a wicked sense of humor. And when I said to him we were doing a podcast later this week, he met, he, he quickly goes, without missing a beat, he goes, oh, you mean a Toddcast? And I go, yes, yes, a Toddcast, because I'm talking to Todd. Um, so but I, I want to pivot real quick, Todd. Um, Micron, uh, well, before, before we do that, did we miss anything? Do we need to put a bow on that conversation? Any closing thoughts? No, I think we're good. I think we're good, because it actually does segue into Micron, because, you know, I've said this before to you, <clears throat> two months ago that I was interested not necessarily in what the earnings reports were, but how markets reacted to them. And Correct. maybe that's the most fascinating thing about the Micron report, Chris. So uh, let, let's just set that stage for the listener who may not have seen it. Uh, they reported there, I believe it was their February quarter, missed. <laughs> Revenue was down significantly year over year. Uh, they guided lower than expected for the current quarter. Uh, but they reiterated being very uh, bullish over the long term. Uh, for me, and given the holdings we have in the AAP, AAP portfolio, there were three things that I was really focused in on. What they said about PCs, what they said about smartphones, and what they said about data center. And it was interesting, right? Because the PC market, when they reported back in 
late December, they said something along the lines of expecting 2023 unit growth to be down. I don't know why they say unit growth when they go down, but um, unit growth down, high single digits to low double digits. And then last night they said they signaled a modest improvement to that, just down uh, mid single digits in 2023. Smartphone, they thought would be flat up in 2023. Now they're saying down slightly year over year. But the big thing for data center, and I think this explains the move that we're seeing in companies like Marvell, AMD, NVIDIA, at least today, is that data center bottomed during the quarter. That's their argument, right? I mean, that's- Wow, that's okay, the, hang on, hang on. Let me let, let me strap in, toddler. What do you got? Well, I, I okay, so it's a believe, believe what I say. Um, you know, kind of, kind of uh, an earnings conference call. I think it's hard to look at those numbers and say anything other than that they, that they were ugly. I mean, they. You know, oh yeah, 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 yeah. We saw a dollar ninety one loss. We saw one point, nearly one point five billion in write downs, <clears throat> and we saw an outlook for fiscal third quarter, which is next quarter, uh, the quarter we're in. You know. Um, we saw them say, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna lose money again. We're gonna mm -hmm. lose less, though. We'll lose a dollar fifty-eight, right?" And uh, but then additional conversation was going on there, and it's like, "Well, okay, if you back out the write downs, they can write down five hundred million next quarter. Is what we're this quarter. That's what their expectation is, down from one point five. If you normalize that, gross margins are actually going to get worse in 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 the next fiscal quarter." So the argument is, okay, well, things are trowing. They're going where they're gonna improve from here. Mm -hmm. And that may absolutely be true. I mean, you could argue that demand is currently now outstripping supply. And once they get the inventory under control, that'll support pricing. And um, it is an incredibly cyclical business. Mm -hmm. So it is prone just by the nature of the animal. It's prone to these boom and bust periods. And Investors have made money buying the bust period in uh, semiconductors at some point in time. Um, so all of those caveats aside, it's 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 one of those things where it's like, okay, well, you're telling me a good game, but do I believe you yet? And I'm not sure. How do you feel about it, Chris? So they were early. They're they're one of the earlier co companies back in late December that kind of set the tone for what we were going to hear. Right when a lot of tech companies reported early um, December quarter results, so I, I'm inclined to give them the benefit of the, of the doubt. But but here's the difference, right? We're not invested in Micron. We're not going to be invested in Micron. So so their financial you know uh, inner workings, I, I'm not all plus or neg or neg excuse me negative about. Uh, I'm more concerned about their commentary on their end markets, which I rattled through. And, and candidly, those were mostly positive for the positions in the AP portfolio. So I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to fixate, you know, on <laughs> on Micron specifically. Rather, I'm just using them to augment my, uh, God, I can't believe I use this word sometimes, Todd, my tapestry. Yeah. And well, OK, so let's pull on that thread a second here, Chris. <clears throat> so I assume that. <clears throat> Oh God! I know. Thread tapestry, very weak. No, I didn't even. That wasn't even planned. Um, I, I guess one of my questions is: Yeah, if we look at the data set, is is it the data center? The thought that the data center may be bottoming, 
and we may see improving demand out of data center that gets you more excited for the holdings in the AAP portfolio? Is it, is it, it's, is it, I doubt it's the PC commentary, but what, I mean, what is yeah, it? Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll lay the cards on the table. Um, so the improving PC side, you know, modestly, you know, okay, that's a modest positive for Microsoft, right? And Windows, okay, fine, check. Um, on the smartphone side, you know, uh, flat, uh, flat to down, but, and I, I should have mentioned this and I apologize, they did say that they are seeing greater adoption of uh, flagship or high-end phones because they contain more memory. That's obviously going to be good for Apple, which is in the AAP portfolio. And I, and I do think that a lot of the inventory out there is probably more so in the Android channel. So again, probably good for Apple. Um, on the data center side, you know, we entered Marvell in early March, and this was a name that we were really kind, you know, like, I mean, it had been in the bullpen for a while, and I, I telegraphed very specifically to members what I was looking for to start adding a position. And the reality is when, when you look at, you know, not the next like three months or four months, six months, you know, whatever, if you look at the overarching technologies and the amount of content that's being created uh, and um, passed through these networks uh, and data centers, right, it's just continuing to grow and we're continuing to stream more. We're continuing to lean into this digital lifestyle. Then you layer on IoT, which continues to be a, a very good growth market. We know that at some point, demand is going to snap back for data center components. It has to happen. So, you know, was I trying to call the bottom in Marvell? No, because you can almost never do that to your point earlier about the banks. Right. So what I was trying to do is identify a very favorable risk to reward trade off. Right. I have an idea of what the upside could be based on historicals. I assess the downside. So we started a position and then it, you know, it moved up, it moved lower. We bought a little more. And then on uh, Monday, I was concerned that, you know, um, exactly what happened which is that Micron might say something uh, the market sees as positive for the data center market. So we snapped up some more Marvell shares. And you know, I, I'm not here to pat myself on the back. I, I'm just here to share the thinking that went into this position because candidly, if, if Micron had um, you know, said, oh, data center's horrible, I, I'd be sitting here saying I have egg on my face. Yeah, and actually, I think that this kind of inside baseball is that, uh, just to bring it back to baseball. Um, inside baseball is actually quite helpful for our listeners. I know I, I would assume it would, it would be one of the things that I think is really good that AAP does, and you do when you're allocating your money is, you know, you don't go all in. Oh, you know, no. You, no, you no, give no, yourself no. plenty of room to be able to add to the position opportunistically, and I think that. You know, if you're a relatively new investor, let's say that you got started maybe in, you know, after the 2018 or something and you saw 2020, maybe you're thinking, oh, no, I need to be all in, all out, all in, all out. And, you know, honestly, anybody who's been around a long time, like like Chris and I have gray hair. So, you know, we've been around a little bit. And um, I think if you've been around a little bit, you recognize that, no, optionality is important when it comes right. to it. So, you know, leave the door open. So like, Chris, can you explain kind of the thinking as far as allocating money, just to, using Marvell as, a, as an example, if you, you know, how, how are you thinking about building that position over time? So, you know, the target number for most positions in AAP is around, you know, 4%. Once it gets over that, we will, uh, you know, 
uh, ring the register, as some folks like to say, uh, and cycle out those profits either to cash or to build up other positions, something like that. So, but we also have to consider that if we're right in our price targets, that the overall growth in the portfolio is going to move up towards that level. So, you know, the target that we try to get to, you know, depending three percent, three and a half percent, something like that. But it's but to your point, Todd, it is not a race, right? Um, we're always kind of reassessing because, you know, as, as we chewed through all this data on the podcast and like we're talking about the economy, there's a lot of data that comes through, too, that allows us to revisit the underlying thesis for each position. And if that data is strengthening and the stocks are moving up, if earnings are moving up, then maybe our price target moves higher and then we can contemplate. Not that I like doing this, I really don't, but um, you know, uh, buying above our cost basis. My, my preference is, is to uh, buy below our cost basis because I tend to get a buy at a more favorable risk to reward trade-off. And, and just so we're clear, risk to reward means a reward to the upside price target, risk downside to um, where the stocks have bottomed out based on historical multiples, be they PE, enterprise value to EBITDA, enterprise value to revenue, dividend yield, what have you, and a peer valuation. So there's a lot of work that goes into assessing that downside. It's not all pie in the sky upside. Um, but Todd, you know all that. So why don't we tell the why don't we tell the listeners something they may not know, which is um, you know this is an evolving game, right? You always have have to constantly retest the thesis, look for positive data, look for negative data, and and rebuild that thesis on an ongoing um, timeline. Um, Todd, did I leave anything out? No, man, you nailed it. That's I guess the only other question that I would have for you, just to build on that uh, for our listeners. Todd, who is hosting? I know this you're the one who hosting. is hosting this podcast. Well, it's a fascinating conversation. So when you start a position, and this is again adjusted to how. People can adjust it how they want. When you start a position, do you typically start it at a half percent to a percent? Somewhere in there, yeah. Rarely do I go all in, in let, like all in in that instance, one percent, right? Um, if if the risk to reward again really skews, and, and let let me give an example of this, right? So um, the, the easiest way to do this is probably. Um, I don't know, uh, widget company XYZ, right? That trades at a $10 price target. So if I'm sitting there and I'm doing my homework and I'm like, hmm, wow, this looks like it has upside to 14. The initial reaction by most people is, wow, that's 40%. But if I turn around and I do all the downside work and it says it's, you know, eight, right? 10 to eight is 25%. So my net upside, right, is only 15%, right? 40 minus 25, okay? So if I see then this stock price is down to nine and everything is equal, oh wow, that's a lot more compelling. If it gets to eight and a half, even more compelling. So it really depends on where we are in that risk to reward continuum for me. And if we're closer um, towards the downside risk level, again, all things being equal, uh, I'm likely to go a little higher in that 0.5% to 1% starter position. Perfect. Perfect. No, awesome, Chris. That's. I think that's really helpful. I'm glad I passed the test. The. Um, all right. All right. So we got Micron. Todd, we talked about ISM manufacturing next week. I want to get one last thing with you. Uh, I know we'll probably talk again next week, but I just want to plant the seed in folks' minds next week because we do have a couple different set of holidays next week with probably be some lighter than usual volume. Um, 
one of them will see the market closed for Good Friday. That's April 7th. And the only reason I, I um, call this one out, not to, you know, um, not to say any any one particular holiday is more important than the other. It's just that even though the market is closed, we're still going to see the March employment report being released. And as you pointed out, you know, there's a number of reasons uh, we want to pay attention to this. How many jobs were created? What does it mean for the speed of the economy? But um, real wages, because that's, that's going to be another data point. Um, I can't remember the last time we got an unemployment report on the day when the market was closed. It's a good point. So, Let's so, what does that, so what does that mean, though? I mean, the market's not trading, so nothing can happen. It just means that I think we and our listeners and other investors need to be really on the ball come uh, the morning of, what is it, of uh, April 10th, right? It could certainly mean that there's some gamesmanship the day before, too, you know, where people just don't want to take on the risk over that long weekend. And, mm. you know, they're more likely to be able to flat, more likely to flatten out. So whatever the recent trend would be might be might come into play. If the trend was down, then you might see short covering. And if the trend was up, then you might see people putting profits in their pocket uh, to reset the reset for Monday. That's a good point. That is a very good point. I, I think some of that's going to be influenced by all that PMI data and even the ADP employment report that we get next week as well. And the other thing that I would just also mention, um, we do have April is historically a very strong month for the market. And that's because obviously people are making their last minute contributions ahead of tax time uh, to their to their um, to their IRAs, et cetera. Oh, and hey, thanks for remind thank thank you for reminding me to do that. So listeners, don't forget to do that. Don't forget <laughs> to do that. Maximize your maximize your de deductions by setting setting aside making your uh, your contributions to your retirement accounts. So it will be interesting to see whether or not that seasonal strength continues next month or it it falls flat. All right, Todd. I think, uh, you know, we haven't chatted in a while. I'm glad we got caught up. And then some on this episode of the AAP podcast. Um, we will be back with another episode next week. And uh, if you got any questions at all, aapclub at thestreet.com. And, you know, again, be sure to subscribe to both Street Smarts to get all of Todd's insights on a, on a daily basis. And for folks that want to take a look at, you know, how we're playing all of this in the AAP or Action Alerts Plus portfolio, do us a solid, come on over and subscribe. We'll see you next time.